0: And now here's your host, Grand Canyon whitewater guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. We are floating along the Colorado River in the heart of the Grand Canyon. And across from me is a man who's gonna be called Tommy today. Tommy grew up in the New York area, and he's gonna tell us about the adventure of growing up in the New York area.
1: Hi, as Mandela introduced me, my name is Tommy Johnston. I grew up in a town on the Hudson River, Jersey City, New Jersey, which is the second largest city in New Jersey, and it shares the border of the Hudson River with downtown Manhattan. Jersey City's significance is we have the distinction of looking at Lady Liberty's derriere every day. The Statue of Liberty faces Manhattan and her backside faces Jersey City. So I'm asked to describe the adventures of the urban jungle, a jungle created by people. Jersey City, like New York, is very ethnically diverse. When I grew up as a child, there were what we called neighborhoods. Irish, Italian, Polish, Hispanic, black everybody had their neighborhood and everybody had their own enrichment in as far as culinary delights so if you wanted good bread you went to the italian neighborhood if you wanted good sauerkraut you went to the polish neighborhood but there was always a price to be paid upon entering an area that was not yours territorial if you might say Someone questioned who you were and what you were doing there. This is back before the days of air conditioning. So people spent a lot of time on their porch in the summer, watching one another. So I kind of grew up with a dozen parents or so, because back then, parents couldn't watch their children day after day, hour after hour, and they trusted one another to parent everybody else's children. So it was kind of a communal effort, which... think is a little bit different now. People have evolved to where it's mind your own business. Don't get involved in my decision making. I don't know if that's better or worse. That's pretty much the way it was. So me being Irish Catholic and the Irish not being known for their cuisine, I had to venture outside of my neighborhood to get something good to eat, right? If I got tired of corned beef and cabbage or shepherd's pie. Has anybody ever eaten shepherd's pie? Yeah very appealing visually isn't it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny because we were on that hike this morning buck farm and on the way down i was thinking about the challenges that we've encountered here physical challenges and and pushing limits and things like that and it's been my privilege to watch People traverse these trails with incredible athletic ability and made me realize that those days are gone for me. (laughs) All right, old age. But here's how this segues into what I'm talking about now Growing up in the city, densely populated like we were, regardless of your athletic ability, there was some type of organized event for children of every level. So grown-ups societal elders if you will made sure that every child was occupied in some form or another through athletics in the winter time indoor sports basketball hockey or outside playing hockey on a frozen lake is a fantastic experience for anybody that's never done that but that being said it's contributed to everything that we do i don't know if that's lost today in today's society or not in less densely populated areas but it is what it is so growing up i alluded earlier about uh, different ethnic backgrounds right so irish catholic you see that the territorialism that we had to deal with in the city and going from neighborhood to neighborhood also involved our schooling you learned either to handle yourself physically or keep your mouth closed one of the two and then now you expand it And as a teenager, I discovered that New York City is truly a city that never sleeps. 4 a.m. on any street corner in Greenwich Village, you would swear that it was 4 p.m., the amount of people on the sidewalk. Anything and everything is available. When the taverns close, after-hour clubs open up. And how you find an after-hour club is, hail a cab. Take me to where the people are. They open and close routinely because they're prohibited by law, right? But people being people, what do they do? They find a way. So if you do, in fact, want to go to New York City and enjoy the artwork, just realize that they do not work on an 8-hour clock, a 16-hour clock. They operate on a 24-hour clock. So get used to 3 or 4 hours of sleep if you're going to visit there. There's a lot to do. Culturally, each segment of the city has its own flavor. Little Italy. If you're going to go to Little Italy, make sure you get Galamad. Calamari, right? But they pronounce it Galamad, right? Although it's spelled Calamari, right? Make sure you capitalize on that. And Mott Street in New York City has unbelievable Chinese food. Restaurants are subterranean there. You walk down to get into a lot of the restaurants. they are actually basements that they converted... Wohops Many a night I wandered over to Wohops To get their spare <coughs>
2: ribs That's the voice of Tommy Johnson You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled We're floating down the Colorado River In the Grand Canyon right now
0: Awesome, it's a pleasure to have Tommy Sitting on the front of the boat not paddling I'm not sure how my crew feels about it But I think it's some good storytelling He got a Viking name uh, Lindsay, what's his Viking name? Hensnaga, but you can call him Snaga for short What does Snaga mean? <laughs> love it. I wonder, it's wonderful. And your son, what's your son's name? Halvor. And, and what's Halvor translate to? Roughly uh, the Rock Guardian. I love it. Makes sense where we are right now. We're surrounded by rock. This is the Grand Canyon. It's time for a song, Tommy. So if you could choose a song that reminds you of your childhood adventures.
1: Keep your eyes on the road and your hands upon the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> And that's all I got for now. Thankfully. <laughs> Roadhouse blues by the door, cause life is a wild ride. Taking your hands off the wheel will probably lead to a crash. The first time I heard that song, I was at a state park beach in New Jersey, Sandy Hook State Park. Sandy Hook is a peninsula out into the Atlantic Ocean. And it's particularly beautiful, so they made it a public beach.
2: G'day mate, this is Joe, coming to you from the Sunshine Coast in Eastern Australia. The Trail Less Travelled podcast is sponsored by Desert Green Hemp, family farmed, organically grown, tested and manufactured in Sisters, Oregon. Desert Green is a collective of farms on the eastern foothills of the Oregon Cascade range that grow and produce the highest quality full spectrum CBD products currently on the market. Visit DesertGreenHemp.com and remember to use the promo code MANDELA, M-A-N-D-E-L-A. This promo code will get you discounts and special offers. That promo code, MANDELA, directly helps you and the future of Adventure Radio.
0: We're floating down the Grand Canyon. We are in that beautiful section of flat water after Buck Farm. It's nice and flat, a little bit of a breeze. Hopefully that's not affecting your audio too much. This is a nice bird watching section. Speaking with Tommy and Michael, they uh, both grew up in the New York area. Tommy was telling us earlier about his experience growing up. And uh, Michael, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about your experience growing up in the New York area and about how you might navigate that city.
3: Well, the first question was about adventure, adventure in the city. Why would for adventure? You got to go after adventure. So the way I went after adventure in New York City was, let's say I was about four years old, tenement, fire escapes. It was go down the fire escape to get out. We had these French doors, the old French doors, close them, them. they're supposed to be in there for a nap, bing, bing, down on the roof, out the street, this, that, that thing. Remember the Prince Spaghetti day? Hey, Prince Spaghetti Day. Well, it was Michael. <laughs> get up here. <laughs> so we did stuff like that. We went down and climbed fences. Did you guys ever hear about elevator jumping? No. Yeah. What you did for a venture there was you get an elevator and you go up top and you wait till the elevator meets another on the other side and you jump to that elevator. And that takes you down or up. And when that comes even, you jump back to the other one now that's adventure the other one you would ride on top of the subways which i wouldn't advise because you got the cantonaries up there and they'll fry you but you touch them that's it that's called subway surfing now remember i was young so you know doing knucklehead things the other one was to ride between you. that's still done today Ride that or one was to grab a skateboard and hang on back of the city bus <laughs> and you go surfing down the street or a sled or a sled, yeah. and you go down the street so tommy did the same thing there yeah and then the cop cars would try to catch you in the snow and they couldn't catch you and you bail out oh did you guys know that there is a lighthouse under the george washington bridge a tiny little lighthouse there's storybooks written about it the way i found out about it my parents moved my butt out to jersey but really wasn't that far It was like three miles into the jersey so i wanted to get back to the bronx so the way I get back to the Bronx was to walk across the bridge and over. But, you know, as a young kid, you're walking across the bridge. full authority cops are there, you know, where are you going, kid? So what we used to do was to crawl on the I-beams under the bridge, all the way across on the I-beams, get the other side. And that's where I look down. I say, oh, man, that little storybook is true. There's the little red lighthouse, <laughs> right? Now you do that today, there would be a whole squat team there waiting for you. <laughs> back then, the cops would say, come on down, kid. And you go, <laughs> and you head back to Jersey. that was one the other things we did we like to climb radio towers kids do that today right hang on towers and all that stuff so then you get out of the city you get a little older now you got wheels you can go do things my first real place that i did was uh, delaware river and we started back there oh i guess freshman in high school it was 17 18 right not freshman sophomore junior get your license and we got an old aluminum grumman left over. We packed that thing on the roof, we go up there. We had no idea how to gauge the thing. We did 22 miles, and the next day we couldn't walk or paddle, <laughs> a Grumman up against wind, I guess, you know? We did stuff like that, camping, we did stuff like that, and it eventually grew into what more adventure we could get. We did all the stuff in the city, we did the river, next was the skiing, that was a good story. They started a ski club in high school. Nobody knew how to ski. So I had one kid who was on a ski patrol. He took us all up and he was gonna show us all how to ski. Well, being a knucklehead that I am, I'm not gonna listen to anybody. No one's gonna tell me what to do. I got on the skis. Let's go to the top. All the way to the top, get on the skis, come all the way down, make it all the way to the bottom. And there's the chairlift. Bam, right for the chairlift. I hit that chairlift and everyone in that line went down. Bing, 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 like dominoes. I am laying at the bottom of the pile. They picked the last lady up off of me and she says, You don't know how to ski, do you? I said, Whatever gave me that idea? <laughs> <laughs> we finished up that day. The ski patrol kicked me off the mountain for a couple hours. <laughs> Sent me over to the bunny slope and said, you got to behave here, kid, otherwise oh, well, you're going home. <laughs> what else do you do? Uh, oh, climbing. Here's a, this is a true story. Believe me, this is a true story. I had a buddy named J.R. He was my age. I got left back because I got a hernias. So but this kid stayed ahead and I had operation. He went ahead, but he stayed close. Once you get left back in the city, you're going to get mocked. So you had to do battle. But J.O. was kind of cool, he stayed with me. We got tired of the subways, we got tired of the radio towers. There's a thing along the Hudson River that the bridge comes out of, it's called the uh, Palisades Cliffs. I guess they're probably about 300, 400 foot high. So we're climbing and at the same time that this is going on, we got to swim, uh, swim meet. I'm going for a scholarship and for college, and high school. We decided to climb these cliffs. I'm up on the cliff, and the knee pops out. There I go, down, 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 free pawn Now, this is a true story. I did survive, because I'm here to tell the story. I'm going to explain how, if you look to your right or your left here, do you remember when a guy comes off a ski jump? He hits the incline. If that had been a right angle, I wouldn't be here. It was like that. When I hit, I rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and just cut up and cut up. I got scars here, my lip, my nose, my head, my legs. I look up and he goes, "Mikey, come on, you're all right." And I says, "I didn't right. get up." And I look, I can't. Alright, so what do I do? I climb back up the cliff. <laughs> I read him at the top. I said, "I come up here, and my buddy's dead." I go, "You, you got to go to the hospital, man." "I, said, nah, I don't got to go to the hospital. I, you got to go to the hospital. I got to the state meet this week. I can't go to the hospital." "Mikey, you got to go." I said, "Take me to a gas station." I have white jeans on now, right? White jeans, white T-shirt, everything's red. We pull into a gas station, I walk into the gas station, I look, my lip is split from here to here, my head is split from here to here. I come out, I says, I gotta go to a hospital. (laughs) So we're getting in the car, we pull out, I guess the gas station attendant see me walk in. He calls the cops. I'm getting in the car and here comes the ambulance and the fire trucks and everything else. I said, get out of here, let's go, get out, let's go, 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 go. Go to the hospital right now. Kids, what do you know about insurance? They drop me off. They don't come in with me. They just drop me off like, you know, a newborn. Yeah, get in there. So I go in and they're taking me a care of me. They're stitching me up. Where, where, where do you live uh, in Maywood where? I forget. I can't remember. What's your parents? You gonna call your parents? I oh, don't call my parents. Don't call my parents. So my father shows up. Someone's got to pay the insurance bill. I had no idea what insurance was back then. And I'd explain my father, think of a drill instructor. He walks in the room. He looks at me. He says, where did you get in the fight? I said, I didn't get in a fight. I fell off the Palisades. Nobody lives falling off the Palisades. So he says, you're lying to me. I'll see you. He doesn't take me home. He says, I'll see you home. So I got to walk like four miles home from the hospital. I get in the house, and he says, "Okay, well, how did you get hurt? I said, I fell off the Palisades. He says, no, you didn't. Because I was in there talking to the kid next to you, and he was in a barroom fight, and his wrist got cut, his hand got cut off in a barroom fight. I said, Dad, I wasn't in a barroom fight. I think to the day he died, he thought I was in a barroom fight.
0: That is the voice of Michael Buzz. You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled. We are currently floating down the Grand Canyon. There's a bit of a morning breeze right now, so I do apologize for some of the uh, windy audio if you are experiencing that wherever you are in the world. Now, Tommy, you were going to tell us how Michael got the name Buzz, Michael Buzz. How, can you tell us that story?
1: You are about to be presented with the legend of Buzz, shortened from Buzzcut. So, Mike, who you just heard, and I used to work together. I'm going to have to paint the picture of Smiling Mick's appearance. flat top military haircut. So, those of you who remember the cartoon characters of Beavis and Butthead, might remember the phys ed coach, Buzzcut. So, (laughs) Mike used to be a group of young men's boss in work and he would bark out commands much like the lovable character Buzzcut. And he had a famous saying, he would tense his body up square up and yell at his students, kick me in the jimmy. (laughs) So, every time people would see mike we would yell at him kick me in the jimmy and we called him buzz cut affectionately now known as buzz so that's the legend of buzz
2: um this is sam uh, on this lovely river day and i'm gonna ask the question of how do you two know each other and what did you do as a profession together
1: Okay. Sam has asked me how Mike and I got to know one another. There's an unofficial title, which I refer to myself when asked, usually. People say, you know, what have you done? And unofficially, I was an attitude adjuster and a social worker. If people had a bad attitude, I would provide them temporary housing at the county's expense, usually for a weekend or so until a man with a black robe said, you can go home now. Okay. The official version of what I did would be classified as a uh, policeman or a police officer, okay? The city that we worked in in Jersey City was 11 square miles and had about 350,000 people residents, officially according to the census, it's probably inflated because of non-participants in the census. But bear in mind that there are high-rises on the waterfront facing New York City. The daytime population probably swells up to 1.5 million people showing up to work every day so that in and of itself would be unheard of to a person from montana traveling three miles in three hours would be unheard of bumper to bumper traffic everybody kind of giving you the peace sign minus the index finger <laughs> right. in new york city that's affectionately known as flipping the bird okay what bird has one claw i don't know but
0: um, <laughs> Awesome. You're on the trail as traveled. We're speaking with Mike and Tommy, and I'm about to run President Harding Rapid. And after President Harding, I'd like to know more about the adventure of being a police officer in the New York area. But now it's time for a song. And Tommy, can you share a song with us that reminds you of some of your time in the New York area when you were working as a police officer?
1: I don't know any of the words of it, but it came out when I was in high school and it speaks to the complexities of policing society. And that song would be brain salad surgery (laughs) from a group called Emerson, Lake and Palmer. It alludes to the show that never ends. Human life is truly the show that never ends. And it is a three ring circus.
0: Let's get back to the Grand Canyon. That's where we are right now. We're floating down the river. Now, this is a radio show, obviously. Can you paint the picture of what you look at when you look around right now on the river?
1: We're looking at one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I've been to the canyon before, but looking down from the rim, um, there's greenery at river level, and then coloration of the rock is where the river has done what rivers do which is erode things has worked its way through and i'm looking at ore boats take it easy compared to what we're doing i'm in some pretty good company actually we're having a good time laughing and just appreciating what nature has done
0: well sam you have a way with words Uh, you are also a hiking guide for this company and i was wondering if you could describe what you what you see can you paint the picture
2: I'm looking at the most beautiful canyon I've ever seen in my entire life. It's definitely mash of colors and those colors bring emotion and it's just a canyon that wraps you up down here. Lots of different kinds of rocks and plants and animals and noises. Again, some of the most beautiful noises and colors I've ever seen. Some I've never seen before. This place is love. It's everything you could want in one place.
0: We're floating down the Colorado River in the heart of the Grand Canyon. You're listening to The Trail Has Traveled on the Trail 1033. I would love it if Tommy and Michael, could we go back and forth between the two of you? And can we talk about what it was like to be a police officer in the New York City area?
3: I can tell you a lot of stories. I got one that's fresh in my mind. I don't know if everybody wants to hear it. It'd be kind of depressing to be in a nice place like that. It's, it's about 9-11. My anniversary being appointed to the police department was 9-11. 9-11, i have been retired for maybe a few months. That morning, I had a business and we were gassing the trucks up to go to work. And my girlfriend was with me. She's come out from the office, She said, uh, Plane just flew into the trade center. So, oh man! Now, as a young kid in high school, I worked with the steam fitters, and I run over to the trade center delivering parts after after class from the car. And I watched that thing be built. And every day coming down from where we live, me and Tommy, we come down 280. And if you come over the hills, you see at the bottom where we're going to work. You'd see the two towers every morning, every single morning or every evening, you'd see the two towers lit up. And I worked in the East District, was right across from the tower. So if you looked at the towers, looked across the river, they stood straight up. So those things were in my life the whole time they were there, from the time they were built to the time they went down. So I had a Suburban at the time. So I got my ropes, my gear, a couple chainsaws, my helmets, my old uniforms, I threw them in the back, threw some bottles of water in there and I took off. Everyone couldn't get into the city, but I don't know. Maybe God was there with me, but I live 48 miles from the, the site. usually takes me about 50 minutes. I made it in under 30, so that means I was going like 100, 110. Turnpike was blocked. Jersey City was blocked. Pulled up. State trooper seen me in uniform, waved me through. It was a weird feeling going through the Holland Tunnel. There was not another car or person in that tunnel. First precinct in New York is right there at the end of the tunnel. Young female cop, very young. She sees me, shock is on her face that I'm, I am going to go down. She says, go, go, go. Get down there, meet a lieutenant, motorcycle cop. He sees me. Trust me, no one knew what to do, no one. He shows up and first thing out of his mouth, he sees Jersey City on a patch. He says, oh my God, thanks for coming. He says, we just lost, we don't know how many guys. Now, this is one boss talking to another boss. I said, what do you want me, boss? He says, go, park down there while you can. I'll get a car, a motorcycle cop, will take you down. He takes me down. I'm two blocks away, I'm pulling in where paper's still coming out of the sky. I got there just as the second tower came down. So I parked, Now the debris's coming out, we're waiting, this, that, he says, you better wait. He says, you can't wait no more. The cloud just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I parked the car, managed to get two blocks from where the south tower, the north tower came down got in there and it was surreal. Nobody was doing anything because no one knew what to do. No one's trained for this. No one knew where to go, what to, what to grab. Firemen walking around in clusters, cops walking around in clusters, people coming out. You couldn't help them all. It's just pass them off to the next guy, next guy, next guy, and hope, hopefully someone would pick them up at the end. In the midst of this, I run into a guy. He's South American. And he's got a baseball cap on, khaki short, shirt, blue jeans. He's standing there and he's looking around. I says, can I help you? He says, I don't know, I just missed it. I said, what do you mean just missed it? I work in the trade center and I was just coming in and I seen the thing come down and I ducked around the corner. He's covered in white. I says, you wanna go back? He says, no, I got friends in there. I says, all right, I'll tell you what. You worked in there, you know the layout, right? He says, yeah. He says, well, then you stick with me. He says, ah, oh, these other cops, tell him, fireman me, tell to get lost. I says, uh-uh, pal, you're staying with me. You know the ground, you're staying with me. Dan Benchmolo was his name. He just had a baby, two years old. He could have walked away. So, we start walking around. I came in from the north, so, there's a few blocks of what they call the atrium. The atrium was a huge glass fishbowl. Part of the building hit that, and it was a stage, and I went, and it came down, and it came through, and the glass was all over, and it's palm trees. Now, when you walked in, some of these palm trees were still standing in the midst of all this debris. And he's walking around, we're walking. I said, Dan, I have no clue of what we're doing here. He says, why don't you tell me where you think, looking at this mess, we might find somebody. He says, uh, well, I know the basements. I said, you know under this? You can get me under this pile. He says, yeah. I said, "But well, we got to go around the other side. And there's a firehouse over there that lost a lot of guys. And now to walk around this pile, it wasn't like you walked around a block. It would take you four or five hours to walk around this. So as we're walking around, we're pulling up stuff. We're helping whoever's trying to, maybe someone's trapped here. So there's a body here. There's that thing. Dan comes up with a rope bag from a fire truck because they had been crushing this stuff had just blown out. So he picks up a rope bag. I said, yeah, keep that. We could use that. Throw that on your back. So a couple of people said, we think there's somebody on top of the mound. Now, the mound was still burning. So we go up to the top of the mound, and there's, there's civilians up there. There's Dan. I'm in uniform. Dan, he's a civilian, but he knows his way. And there's two girls up there, and there's another guy. And they said, we see someone down in the hole here. People just wandering. So I says, all right. We start picking the things up. And we up a few pieces of debris. Now, they're sitting right on top of the mound. So this tells me that they were on the roof when this came down. And so since they were so close to the top of this mound, we peeled it apart. And what you could see was, I can still picture the nylon shirt. And as we dug, he was laying over two women like this. And he had protected these women. So I went to the chief. I said, chief, we got bodies up he didn't know me. He just didn't know his number side. He said, boss, we, I'm not sending anybody up here. We lost too many guys today. And he says, here's a paint can. Go up there, mark what you see, and then come back and tell me where they are, and I'll send some up tomorrow. He says, okay, you're the boss. So you do that, and we go back down. We're climbing the mound. As you're climbing the mound, now it's getting dark. You'd be walking on the mound, and all of a sudden, next to you, the fire would break out like a campfire. Poof, poof, poof. Nobody's freaked Nobody said nothing It was like this of, You know Panic They just Oh okay He moved on Maybe someone came up With a extinguisher By the time they got up there It was empty anyway So he just kept working He worked around the fire Now a fire company From Long Island came And they climbing On top of the mountain And all of a sudden There's a beep You ever hear a smoke alarm Go off That kind of beep So someone goes Oh that's the end Of a Scott pack On a fireman And they're in the bottom Down there so remember I told you about Dan knew his way around? So I said, Danny, you know what it is? He says, yeah, now there's a tower over St. Matthew's, the church over there. That's still burning. That's an inferno. He says, well, we go to that building. And I can get you in on that building. We can come in into what? There was a whole mall under this thing. The clothes and jewelry stores and jean stores and coffee shops. That did not totally collapse. That collapsed in spots, but not the whole thing. So Dan says, yeah, follow me. So we go down, and we find out that, thank God, they're not Scott Packs running out, they're smoke alarms, but there's hundreds of them. Now we're underneath, I guess, well, this is probably about 9:30, 10 o'clock. We start banging these smoke alarms off, just chiseling them off so that we could silence them. And then there was a part of the building that had come in as we were going down to the path. And we showed a light up in the thing, and there was a hand, a female hand, with a wedding ring on, sticking out from the ceiling. It seemed like a half an hour, but it might have been only ten minutes, but I think he thought of his honey. I thought of my honey. Kinda of thought about her honey. But you gotta do what you gotta do. So Danny was good. He's it's really good, man. He said, okay, fine. He sucked it up, went down. We're going deeper and we're going deeper. Now as we're going deeper. The doorways in the basement, they're metal doorways. They're bowed out from the weight, so you can't open the doors. They're bowed. He's a big kid. So we got a metal, and we pop these doors, and we're going down, we're going down, going down. It gets a little lighthearted here. As we're going down, I guess you people don't know this, but the Federal Reserve had gold stored down there. The DEA had lockers of drugs and compensated cigars. Every federal agency had storage down there, evidence lockers. We're the first ones down there, and I'm looking around now all of a sudden who comes down behind us is a fishing game guy from Jersey. So what the hell are you doing down here? I don't see no deer. (laughs) He's down there, right? I said, all right. He said, I don't know. Nobody wanted to come down here. I said, stick with us. We'll get down there. We get down there. And I look around and it's nothing but cocaine and this, that, and the other thing. And I go, hey, guy, I do gotta get out of here. Just don't look good. Anybody catches us down here. And you know what, the last body we seen was two stories up. So I says, okay, so we go back up. Now, it's the end of the first day. Dad says, I gotta go. I have to leave. I says, okay. I told him where my truck was parked. He says, you gotta open it over there? I says, yeah, you can't miss it, man. It's the only thing that's over there. I got pictures of the Greyhound bus. When the blast came down, the bus went up with the air pressure and landed on parked cars like it was placed there like a crane I said, right it's gonna be there it's about the only one intact so I'll meet you there if I'm not there just wait I'll come back I'm walking around the back I'm on the south side of it and there's just this pile of debris and I hear voices in it and I start walking in and it's a bar the lights are all out now when the towers went down, like I said, nobody knew what to do. And there were a lot of iron workers that were working in the city. They just left the job and they just went. Iron workers especially, this is not a derogatory remark. There were a lot of Mohawk Indians in that high angle work. But they're also big drinkers. Give in the bar. They had done their shift, they got there at 9 in the morning, 10 in the morning, whatever worked, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, I go on have a cocktail, this, that, anything, taking pictures, we we're talking, we we're relaxing, this, that, and they we're just telling them what they did, where we we're going, what they're gonna to do tomorrow. So, this went on for a while. Then the nurses started showing up. This became an aid station with alcohol. And the nurses were coming, patching our feet up and wiping our eyes and this, that, and they're they really good girls. Mm-hmm. They were on the mound too, they'd leave and go up and take care of people on the mound. It wasn't just cops and firemen. There were civilians there, there were iron workers. I don't know, you guys, ever try to pick up an assembling tank on your shoulder? Mm. They humped these things on their shoulder like this, and they walked up and scaled up these things like that, like goats, right up there, threw the thing down and started cutting. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing. I think all of us would have been at loss if they didn't show up because they got so much work done. And if they want to go have a couple of brews, let them go have a couple of brews. Everyone needed some downtime. Now, this went on for a couple of weeks. So everybody's hitting the head downstairs, and that could become flooded. So we drank the bar dry over a couple of weeks we were there. And then I left because uh, it started to turn into a commercial event now. The mob got involved. Every dump truck that went out, they wanted 50 bucks for. So Giuliani had to make a deal with the union to get them to go. Years later, I finally went home. And I tell you, uh, when I got home, just holding, it uh, was like making love. So I got over that. It took a while my wife she meets a a young girl she wants to go see new york city one day so i says okay and they're building the freedom tower this is years later so we're over there and we walk around the city and we're going to end the day up going to the freedom Tower. it hadn't been completed yet so we walked around and i says you know what i'm going to tell you that story about that bar i was in that night she says yeah and danielle was the young girl's name i guess she was 21 22. Hey Danny, you want to go see the bar? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. So we go into the bar, and I said, yeah, this was all covered. It was buried in debris. It was only like an Eskimo hole to get into it, and we spent days, weeks down here just, you know, hanging out after it before I went back to the truck to go to sleep. So I'm sitting in there, and a barmaid comes up. I says, uh, listen, the owner around? She says, yeah, why? He says, I owe him some money. She goes, what Oh. She says, no, you don't. You know how many guys have come in here? and offered to pay back what they drank. I said, you're kidding, he says, no, hundreds. I've come back and left money on the fucking bar. I was great. That night we go home. Now, we were there in the afternoon, late afternoon. That's night here in America. In Afghanistan and Pakistan, that's daytime. When I was in that bar that night, they were killing bin Laden.
0: I'm not making this up. That's the voice of Michael Buzz with a pretty phenomenal story of his experience at the two towers during 9-11. You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled. We're floating down the Colorado River in the heart of the Grand Canyon. You guys can stop paddling, we're heading towards shore. I'm holding the mic and the paddle at the same time. (laughs) Not working out. (laughs) Tommy, we interrupted you earlier when you were talking about your experience as a police officer.
1: A little bit of levity here. Human nature being human nature. Working in the Northeast, the wintertime, it's cold, and in the summertime, it's not. So you can kind of sleep outside. And for those of you who are unaware of it, police work is kind of rudimentary. It's our job to catch bad guys. Cops and robbers, every little boy has played cops and robbers as a little boy. So when bad people do something, it's our job to protect the innocent and recover property or stop the bad guys from doing what they do. Something that I found pretty remarkable in my experience is that in the summertime, uh, you catch a bad guy doing something wrong and uh, he's a little bit reluctant to take advantage of housing provided by the county. That being said, he decides to alight on foot, which forces me to chase him and make an apprehension, providing him with the housing that he needs in the summertime, which he does not want to capitalize on. In the wintertime, that phenomenon does not exist. They will readily surrender. Hey, you stop, police, followed by hands up and take me where I can get uh, three meals, right? There's a jargon that policemen use where I used to work, three hots in a cot, referring to three hot meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and a cot. Black humor, as it's referred to, is a pressure relief valve that police officers use sometimes to deal with the horrors that we see. As a policeman, I've been invited to very few barbecues while I was on duty. It's uh, never, hey, how you doing, pal, come on over. It's always, hey, I've lost control of my life take control of my situation for me, please. So that's pretty much what it's all about. It could be that simple or it could be much more complicated depending on the dynamic of the interaction at the time.
0: That's the voice of Tommy. He is a retired police officer, and we heard from Michael earlier. Thank you so much to both of you for taking the time and sharing your energy and your stories on the trail less traveled.
1: Thank you very much for to share what little bit we know about this game called life.
0: Can you guys share three bits of advice with the listener, please? My advice would be, think about what
1: you do before you do it. Think about the consequences and make good decisions.
0: Alright, the wind is picking up. I'm struggling a little bit here. It's the end of the show, and I'm wondering, Tommy, what song you would like to end your show with.
1: Given the turn of this trip in These interviews. Peaceful, easy feeling by the Eagles.
0: Namaste, Missoula. Mandela here, your host of the Trail Less Traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series, dedicated to collecting stories and sounds from the most remote locations around the world. You can visit traillesstraveled.net to archive previous episodes see pictures, films, and contact me. I'd like to thank my guests for this week, Tommy Johnston and Mikey Buzz. Both Tommy and Mike grew up in the New York area and worked with the New York Police Department for over 30 years. They were kind enough to share their story with me as we floated down the Colorado River in the heart of the Grand Canyon. The Trail Less Traveled airs every Sunday night at six and features a different storyteller every week. These recordings are either done at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, or most often on location around the world, in order to capture these stories with the adventurer in their natural habitat. My adventure tip this week comes from a man named Tommy Cummins, who will be featured on the show soon. He was a bodyguard for Ronald Reagan, and recently told me that a good thing to remember whenever you're traveling anywhere outside your home is to immediately look for an exit whenever you enter a building, no matter where it is. Look for an exit. How are you going to get out of that building should you need to fast? Well, that's it for this week's adventure. My friends in Missoula and around the world, I really appreciate your support for this new genre of adventure radio. But until next week's adventure, please do something for Mother Earth. And get outside. Shred the gnar. Because as you know, the gnar does not shred itself.